On today's episode, we have Trevor's PHT success story. Welcome to the podcast, helping you overcome your proximal hamstring tendinopathy. This podcast is designed to help you understand this condition, learn the most effective evidence-based treatments, and of course, bust the widespread misconceptions. My name is Brody Sharp. I'm an online physiotherapist, recreational athlete, creator of the Run Smarter series, and a chronic proximal hamstring tendinopathy battler. Whether you are an athlete or not, this podcast will educate and empower you in taking the right steps to overcome this horrible condition. So let's give you the right knowledge along with practical takeaways in today's lesson. We have found another one, another success story coming out of the woodworks and everyone loves hearing these. So um, can't wait for you to hear Trevor's journey. Um, He actually jumped on a free injury chat with me, which is in the link to every podcast um, in the show notes. Just click on the link, send you to my calendar. You can book a 20 minute slot and have a chat about your injury. Have a chat about um, if there's any missing links in your rehab, what might be the most appropriate tweaks to make. And if you want to work together um, via online physio, then those options, we can have a chat about those options and exactly what they look like on that chat as well. Um, So that's what Trevor did. He was investing his knowledge and wisdom into the podcast and jumped on a chat and told his story and had a lot of success after that chat. And I thought it would be good for him to share. So let's go. Trevor, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Brody. I'm glad, I'm really glad to be here. Yeah, likewise. Um, we're going to get into your success story and your rehab journey in a second. But before we do that, could you just introduce yourself and where you're from and kind of your athletic background up until this point? Sure. Um, I live in uh, Washington, D.C., um, I, uh, capital, the political capital of the United States. Um uh, originally from California, and um, I'm a, a runner. Um, I, I've um, played a variety of sports and been kind of active person generally throughout my um, my life. But um, the last couple of years, I've I've um, put a lot more time into running, including races. What sort of races would they be? Like any particular? Would you hone in on a particular um, trail or terrain or distance? Um, I, I've mostly done um, marathons and half marathons, but um, I'm actually excited to um, this year maybe um, devote a bit more time to things like 10Ks and 5Ks. Um, I just I'm, I'm actually excited to try some of those shorter races, um, mm-hmm. which don't aren't aren't such a slog. Um, you know, the <laughs> marathon's a pretty pretty long event. Um, it takes a lot of preparation. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward actually now that I'm coming off. Um, having PHT to devoting some time to those faster, shorter races. Yeah. Sounds like you're looking at upping the speed work. Yes. Okay. Which we'll, we'll see. might be quite a challenge. Uh, Looking forward to seeing how that goes over the next couple of months and into 2023. Um, Initially uh, you had like this onset of PHT. Can you just talk us through like how long ago that was and what that onset of symptoms look like? So, um, I initially developed it in the run up to a, uh, marathon last April. 
Um, so maybe I can just get, get, share a little bit of background about it. Um, I I was had a marathon plan, planned in late April, and I had been training for that. And I did a couple of um, what I'll call B races, um, just you know, tune up so-called tune up races before that. And I believe my major mistake in, in what sort of caused this injury was running one of those tune-up races too hard. Um, so, I mean, I think, I think races are races and you should run them fast if that's what you want to do. But, um, you know, I went out at a speed and I kept running at a speed that I hadn't trained for in that tune-up race. I mean, just to give you an example, like I had run a half marathon just a couple of weeks before that. And then I ran that, I ran a 10 miler, um, at a pace of about 15 seconds faster, which is, I mean, a 10 milers, basically you should be running that at roughly your half marathon pace. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I ended that thinking at a great PR, um, almost doing a 10 miler in under an hour. Um, and I think that was kind of the triggering event, um, because over the next week I started to notice this, you know, this pulling sensation in my right, um, hamstring where the, obviously where the hamstring connects with the glute. Um, and so I, you know, I, I went on and I, I kind of, um, took a couple of days off, um, um, and, and I, uh, just trying to figure out what was, was happening after this pulling sensation. I did a couple, of course I did a couple more runs. Um, and, uh, as, as many of us do, um, instead of just stopping or trying to figure out what's happening with this niggle, um, and ended up getting a little bit worse. And, and finally, um, about a week before the marathon, um, uh, because I couldn't actually get in to see a, um, PT, I, I saw a medical doctor and he basically, you know, he didn't diagnose it properly, um, told me it was some kind of tendonitis, um, in the calf. And I wanted to highlight this Brody because, so I, I had symptoms in my, all the way down into my calf. And actually it was, it was stronger and more painful at that point in my upper calf than it was in my hamstring. And I hadn't heard a lot about this in your, in, 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 in really in the literature or what people, when people talk about this injury. So I just wanted to flag it because ultimately for me, I ended up figuring this out because I did find there were some articles which talked about severe cases of PHT ending up in the, you know, going all the way into the calf. So that started my, my unfortunate journey of getting a poor diagnosis. Um, this, this doctor told me, oh, I had probably just had a little bit of tendonitis in, in the calf. Unbeknownst to me, it was, it was the fundamental problem was in my hamstring. Ran the marathon that I had planned. Um, and actually it didn't feel, I, I didn't really, it didn't feel bad because I had taken a couple of days off and it wasn't, you know, it hadn't really, the injury had not really progressed. Um, so ran that marathon, um, did pretty well. And then you know, tried to go back to running after that. And that's where the pain kind of came back. And, um, you know, then I got onto my journey of trying to figure out what this injury was. Um, do you want me, if you'd like, I can sort of take you through that, that process, if that's helpful. Yeah. Let's, let's do a bit of a recap. So you were doing some prep races, looking back on it now, a lot more speed work than had prepared for. So there was an abrupt change in speed work there, but initial symptoms seemed quite mild, just tightness or pulling. And it would have been like in the the glute area, but then going down into the calf. And so not necessarily um, concerning enough symptoms to stop running or um, really 
be proactive with treatment. You just thought you'd get a diagnosis and then continue running. And then once you completed the marathon, the symptoms started to increase. And like, okay, now I need to take this more seriously. Is that right? That's right. And, you know, the unfortunate thing about it is um, had I figured out when I first started to develop that sensation and even within the first week when I was trying to see somebody, if I had gotten a proper diagnosis, um, seeing someone like you who able to figure it out, I probably would have saved myself months of, of trying to figure out and then also would have saved it from becoming a much more chronic problem. Mm. Um, um, but that, that's that your recap is absolutely right. We can see, you see that sometimes in tendons and like plantar fasciitis and that sort of thing, like when it becomes overloaded, particularly if it's very strong and very, um, like, you know, you're running marathons, so you're very fit and the, the tendons had a, a, a pretty strong capacity, you would say, uh, these gradual onset of symptoms could be very common and tightness is a very common initial symptom so that it doesn't really raise much concern with a runner or heighten their level of severity because, you know, people can put up with tightness. It's the same with um, plantar fasciitis. A lot of times it's morning symptoms and it's just a little bit of tightness and not much for concern, but then you continue doing what initially caused that tightness and then it slowly tends to drift towards a little bit of pain then a little bit more pain. And then by the time you're like, okay, let me get this sorted. You've had it for two, three plus months. And mm-hmm. at that stage when you've had it for that long, it's harder to overcome. So it seems like that very gradual onset um, was sort of what got the, you know, I guess with those gradual onsets, the level of severity didn't really spike enough to, you know, trigger action immediately. What was the, was there a certain moment where symptoms did start to increase or like, what was that moment like where you started to take it more seriously and active, actively look for treatments? Yeah. I mean, I do want to say, um, that I mean, I did try to see obviously a, a doctor. I'll, I will never probably see a medical doctor again um, for something like an overuse injury because there's a complete waste of money and time. The only reason I went to see him was because I couldn't get into another PT. So, um, um, you know, I, I think just I, uh, you know, it's it's been it's been nice to be able to speak to you quite quickly when I've and so I there's I think there's a lot of benefit from your kind of virtual platform. But um, so after my marathon i um yeah i took a week off i started to come back to running i felt the symptoms they weren't they still weren't like so severe but i i you know wanted to get it addressed so i saw another i finally got in to see a pt within about a week and a half or two of running the race um and um he also failed to kind of properly diagnose this. He, at this time I was complaining also about my hamstring, but I still felt like even more pain. I was more focused on the calf because I, that had been the initial, um, I had actually felt more pain there than, than the hamstring. Um, it almost felt just like, um, yeah, it's just the, like I explained earlier, the tightness in the hamstring still, whereas I actually had, I recall waking up in the middle of the night um, with the calf pain and I had to like, take um like some advil or or a painkiller basically ibuprofen just to get it to calm down so the pt that saw me 
um, you know, thought I had like a calf, I pulled, pulled, pulled a calf muscle or something. That's what he was convinced um, after his, after his talk with me. Um, and, you know, basically said, yeah, do, take some time off and do some, do some, it gave me a few kind of um, exercises, but obviously it wasn't, it wasn't the right diagnosis, um, which I, I, I raised because I think it also underscores like if, if you're going to see a PT, see one that works with runners, is a runner, is a trained certified running coach. Um, this guy, I've, I've seen him before. He helped me out with like ITBS, and, but the IT, ITBS is a relatively, in my, in my experience, a relatively easy injury to treat. Um, and this, this is much more tricky. So um, I'll never see that person again i mean not no ill will towards him but he you know didn't have the right experience um and mm. so that's so now we're probably three weeks out and i've got an improper diagnosis i'm doing the wrong exercises um trying to kind of do some running still feeling the pain thinking it will eventually just go away um and that that kind of takes me to about june of last year a lot of well some people with PHT report like sitting becomes uncomfortable. Did you ever notice that particular symptom at all at that stage of your management? I started to notice it in about June or I think I want to say June. Um, yeah. And then I actually did a road trip, <laughs> which was probably the right. worst thing <laughs> for it. And that's where, I started to notice even like the loss of power, like the, the, the strength deficit in the, in the hamstring, um, in, in about July. Um, and then I came back from that road trip. Um, and I, I was sort of like leaning the whole time and just kind of leaning on the other glute when I'm sitting. Um, and I, I, what was interesting is I remember, um, during around this time in July, I was doing some exercises like, you know, just basic like glute bridges or other things for just general strength. And I noticed, I remember, I remember distinctly like that, that actually kind of revved up the pain. And I was like, oh, you know, I, I overdid this. And the next day I like felt great um, because obviously it had the sort of um, the analgesic effect. And that's when I started to, I, I thought, you know, I did not get a, I don't have a proper diagnosis. I thought, I thought it might've been like piriformis syndrome at this point, um, went back to that same PT. He, he kind of tried to, he validated that, but again, this guy didn't know what he's talking about. And then I finally, in about early August, um, of 2022, um, I was, I had a heating pad on it and I remember, cause I had the pain like all the way in my glute as well. And it sort of, I remember after having a heating pad on it for a couple of hours, like it, it almost like went away from the glute and I was just left with that, just the hamstring and in the insertion point. Um, and I, I sort of was like, okay, the, I, I just figured it out on myself having after like some Googling of running injuries. And I finally gave myself a proper diagnosis and then went to see another PT in August who understood the injury a little bit better, gave me some of the exercises correctly. But as I think I explained to you um, at a different point, like um, it wasn't, it wasn't all the, like the, the best exercises, I guess, so to speak. Like um, it was only after like listening to your podcast and having spoken to you where I think I got the best, I've kind of figured out the best rehab approach. Um, okay. And that was around. Yeah, go ahead. 
in that stage, was the calf issue, was that still producing symptoms or had symptoms sort of like um, localized itself more to the glute and upper hamstring? They had localized to the glute and upper hamstring. The calf pain really went away quite quickly. I want to say by June, I wasn't getting that anymore. Okay. And so based on the location of symptoms and doing some Googling, you said, you know what, the upper hamstring is probably the most prominent source of the symptoms. So maybe there's a diagnosis around there. And then you've said, so you've actively sought out another therapist and said, I think it's this, um, what should we do? And then they assigned some exercises. Yeah. And he did an assessment too. He was a, um, a certified running coach, a runner had also dealt with tendinopathies and did an assessment and agreed that that made sense. And that's when Mm -hmm. we got like a rehab program going. Yeah. And And what were the exercises? What what did that look like? So it was um, uh, uh, single leg RDLs, reverse lunges, bridges, um, various iterations of bridges, marching, single leg, um, and just like um, some hip strengthening work, which is just good all around, but not necessarily critical for this injury. Mm. And when you say reverse lunges, that's like a lunge, but you step backwards instead of forwards? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And... Were you seeing initial success? What what was the response like? I I did see some improvements. Um, by this time in August, obviously the pain was probably at the peak because um, it really deteriorated. And I saw some improvements. Um, but when I so when I had sort of figured this out, I had also started some of these, started experimenting with these exercises, and so I saw some improvement for that. And then I started adding even light weights at that point, and I. Um, you know, the, the PT kind of, um, guarded, warned me off on the weights, I guess. Um, and which I thought was interesting because I was, had already started to progress to the, adding some weight to my single leg RDL, not, not a lot at that point, but, um, and then I explained to him that, and I had done some, of course, I like to understand these injuries. So I had done some Googling, of course, and the concept of sort of progression of weight, and then he he understood where I was coming from. And I think maybe there was just a miscommunication about him not realizing that I had sort of already started with some weights. Um, but the, the, the thing was he didn't, and this is where, um, again, I'm not, I, I think that there's just not a great understanding of the injury um, by a lot of people. Um, he really didn't hammer home the importance of, you know, a gradual progression of weights and resistance um, which obviously you do in all, all of your podcasts. And so that's where um, I, there was kind of limited utility, I think, from that initial PT. He also, I mean, just as an example, I, I just kind of realized the limits of his knowledge, even as a great guy he was. He, when I told him I had tried some some squats in September and it produced some uh, flare-up basically, and he couldn't figure out why that was. And <laughs> as I started to learn more about the injury and what causes flare-ups, I realized that was a, a mistake at that point of my rehab, for instance. And then I just started, you know, I continued with some of those exercises. Um, at that point in October, I think I, I had a chat with you. I was listening to your, your podcast and trying to get as much information as I could about how to kind of continue on my own rehab, essentially. It seems like you're, 
throughout this like months and months, you're slowly like working your way there. You're almost getting to the solution. You started off nowhere near hitting the mark with someone like diagnosing a calf issue. Then you're doing a bit of research yourself. You go get another assessment, do a bit of research yourself. And like, you know, it seems like you're slowly becoming more and more effective, but just not effective enough to, to see substantial changes, but you're sort of, um, you know, honing in on something that might be eventually effective. Yeah. And I, I should have mentioned also, I saw in, I think in June or July, I, I found it, I had found another PT that was a certified running coach. I, I forgot about this. Um, and she was telling me that, um, you know, there was some issue with my back and had me doing, trying to do some like, um, what do you call them? Cobras exercises <laughs> and things are just going to make no difference. And so, I mean, I, I raised this just because, you know, I saw one med- medical doctor and two PTs, one of which was a certified coach. And I'm not trying to like, you know, um, speak, I don't have any ill will towards these people, but like, then I understand there actually are assessments that they should have been doing, right? As, as a PT, there is an assessment that you can do in person to um, identify an injury. And when I'm compl- complaining about my hamstring, you know, they, these assessments were not, were not done. And so I, I think that we all need to take responsibility as athletes and runners about um, uh, be proactive about trying to understand your own injury. But like, you know, that's what PTs are for as well to like help, you know, support people in properly diagnosing and getting people on a rehab plan. So I, looking back, I am a bit frustrated <laughs> that, you know, I, I put, I spent some money and, and time with some of these people that, um, that I, th- I think should have been able to f- figure this out a little bit. And I, then I wouldn't have gotten so bad by August or September. It really, the pain had really increased to the point, you know, it was very difficult to sit in meetings, um, for my work and, um, it just got quite painful. And, um, so, I mean, obviously I wish I had found you sooner. I, um, and I wish I had diagnosed the injury sooner, but I don't know, you know, I'd never heard of proximal hamstring tendinopathy, um, before like June of last year. So, um, I, it's, it's not one of the most commonly known injuries. Um, and yeah. so I don't, you know, that that's kind of, that, that, that for me, that was the journey of self-discovery of finding out about this injury. Yeah. Well, this is one of the reasons why I start the podcast in the first place. It's because it is so not really well understood and because there is often misdiagnoses and people struggling to find answers and, hence why I want to create this resource. But you know yourself, listening to the podcast, a lot of the success stories is I went to XYZ, misdiagnosed, misdiagnosed. I went to three PTs, two chiros, two sports specialists, and they could never figure it out. And, you know, it's it's an unfortunate circumstance, but it's very common, unfortunately. And I, so you're on these single leg deadlifts, you're onto these lunges, but uh, your PT is very uh, apprehensive to apply load, just do it very light, very easy. Um, were you still doing some running at this stage? I had started to, um, I had taken a little bit of time off in July also because, I mean, there are a lot of running injuries Um they don't, I mean, they, they, there will be some healing effect, right? Now I understand with tendinopathies, they don't really heal themselves. You leave it alone. It, it makes it worse. So I, I, I came back in, in August and started 
running again um, a very small amount to what I had been running um, as I was trying to do these rehab exercises. Um, and so I, and it wasn't, I mean, the, when I first started, obviously the pain was as I could run a little bit, I mostly did a walk run for a couple of weeks. Um, but then by September, October, I'm back to running, um, you know, upwards of somewhere between 25 and, and now up to 40 miles a week. Um, so yeah, I, I was able quite by August, September during my rehab, I, I started to run again. Okay. And so you started listening to the podcast and getting a bit more insight into what might be a more effective strategy. Um, but you also booked in for one of the free 20 minute injury chats. What prompted you to make that decision? I just, I mean, I, I, in September and October, when I started listening to the podcast, I just found so much value, um, in, in sort of what I, what I heard. And, and, um, I think what's really useful Brody about like the way, I mean, um, I don't mean to sound like a sycophant, but I, I, I think what's useful about what you bring is that you make this stuff very accessible and easy to understand and easy to actually like make practicable. So um, I just got so much value after, after listening to a variety of episodes and trying to then apply those lessons to my rehab. And as I was explaining earlier, I just felt like I, the previous PTs I had been working with had not, I didn't get as much value. So then I figured, well, what I should have one of these chats also in October. I think I was sort of reaching, I was reaching a plateau actually. Um, now that I'm recalling correctly, um, I had started because I was upping my mileage and I, I sort of, um, I didn't probably up my weights as much. I started over a couple of weeks, started to feel like the pain was actually plateauing or even slightly sometimes getting worse. And so that's when I, that's when we chatted, um, in late October and, um, yeah, you gave me a couple of really helpful lessons or, or yeah. um, guidance, I guess. Okay. Well, what were the major takeaways about our discussion? What did you implement that, um, sort of enhance the effectiveness? So, um, I, I, I started, you told me basically to, to switch from single leg RDLs to double, well, first and foremost, I think I went over my the weights that I was using, and um, you know it was kind of still fairly moderate, and so I increased the weight. Um, and I, I actually, so I, I don't, um, you know, I, I, I have a pretty busy life. I don't have the ability to get to a gym, so I didn't. I just had a set of adjustable dem- dumbbells that I was using, so I had to wait. I, I bought a um, a weight set for my um, kind of home gym. Um, uh, barbell and so I was kind of waiting for that for a couple of weeks but then I started implementing um, uh, the d- double leg RDL um, and almost immediately from going from a single to a double I noticed like within two sessions like the biggest leap forward that I had felt um, I got up to 100 pounds on single which is still a lot for a single leg RDL but I wasn't able I think you had highlighted that it's, it's really hard to balance and, and make it slow, the slow, heavy load element when you're doing a single leg um, at that amount of weight. And so moving to the double leg um, and even not, not even necessarily going right to doubling that weight, I was, I just noticed almost instant improvement in the, in how the tendon felt. Um, 
the other thing we had a chat, an additional chat a couple of weeks ago, and and um, you mentioned the importance of the um, kind of the hip extension exercise, which I only recently implemented. Um, I think I'm at a point in my exercise where I don't really feel pain during the exercise, so I tried it out nonetheless, and uh, I, I've I've continued to do it kind of. Um, but I think the, probably that for me the the two the three most important exercises during my rehab process was the, the RDL um, and then gradually increasing the weight, the Nordic curls, which I had already gotten into myself, um, but just as such an important hamstring strengthening exercise. And then the, I was also doing bridge, bridge sliders, single leg bridge sliders, because you can just keep a lot of tension on the, the hamstring. Um, and um, I've, I've kind of stopped doing that just because I'm, I'm at a point in my exercise where I'm just trying to add more weights. Um, sorry, a point in my rehab, I mean, where I'm just trying to add more weight and I can do more effective use of my time. But um, the main the main piece you gave piece of advice you gave me was just about increasing the weight load. And I noticed after our call that um, there was that that was it, it felt it just started to feel a lot better after I did that. And I know like after our injury chat, you emailed me early November, I've just pulled it up in front of me and um, you mentioned the straightaway success. Like you said, after two sessions, you already noticed that your pain had subsided and just goes to show, you know, we talk about on the podcast, we talk about tendons undergoing this analgesic effect. Sometimes, not every time, but some people can experience this um, significant and prolonged reduction in symptoms when they do a slow, heavy load. You can almost treat it like pain medication. So a double leg deadlift that's slow, heavy, controlled, in some cases like three seconds down, two seconds up for you know maybe a half range of movement. If you do that slow and controlled, the tendons can actually respond really well to it. And if your symptoms beforehand were like a three to four, it can calm down to like a one to two, sometimes pain-free in some circumstances and last for, you know, four to six hours, sometimes longer. And that seems to be what the the double leg deadlifts did really well for you that your previous exercises weren't necessarily serving, nor could they, because like you say, if it's a single leg exercise, you're sort of a bit off balance. It's sort of, it's hard to engage the hamstring in a slow controlled manner. And it's very, very difficult to foster the right environment for the tendon to respond in that way and so just implementing the right conditions for that tendon to an- undergo the analgesic effects seemed to have a very immediate and profound uh, improvement for you yeah and i mean i was giving that the analgesic effect earlier with the single leg rdl but i just couldn't keep up with the amount of weight so yes i had that immediate sort of positive response. And I definitely am someone that benefited from that. There were some days where I almost, just because my tendon was so achy, um, where I was like, I'm, I'm really looking forward to my rehab exercises just because I wanted to get that that um, improvement in, in feeling. Um, and I, I, I found that, I mentioned this to you a couple of weeks ago, I think, when we last chatted, that the it, it, it surprised me a little bit that nobody, I mean, you, you look up, the people that do know something about this injury um, and everyone seems to re- recommend the single leg RDL, but like, um, I mean, based on what you said, and then also just based on my own experience, um, I, I, I just can't, I can't understand why more people wouldn't sort of recommend 
that exercise over the 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 regular RDL over the single, given the given what you explained. But I guess it comes back to the fact that there is just not there's not a great understanding about this injury by a lot of people. Um, and 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 this idea, which I had initially had, which is like, oh, single leg is more important for addressing strength deficiencies, right? Because um, you you can't rely on the other leg. I've I've had that sort of in my mind as well. Yeah, and I've had a lot of chats with people, seen a lot of clients who started off with single leg RDLs and just flares them up straight away. It's just too much. It's too much load, and it's um the wrong conditions for, for treatment or they start with double leg and they go from 10 pounds to 15 pounds. And then they think the next progression is, okay, let's go from double leg to single leg. And that flares them up just because that carryover from double leg to single leg is too much. And I would just really want people, if they are struggling with PHT, I'd rather just keep them at double leg and just progress the double leg until they're up to, doing their own body weight in a deadlift. And that's the what I try and strive for for a lot of the athletic population. For someone who's like just um, sedentary but just has PhD, probably not those endeavors, but that's the goal. I think slow, heavy load and the heavy stuff can be even beyond your body weight in, in um, the deadlift and honing around the three to four sets of eight to 10 reps is um, a pretty good condition. Like I say, as long as it's slow controlled, it, it tends to be the most effective. I don't, I've never, I think in the 95% of the PhD clients that I work with, no matter how severe their symptoms, no matter how long they've had it for, I start them with at least one variation of a deadlift. And um, that's because I know that it's just so crucial to people's rehab and, you're a, an excellent example of that. Yeah. I mean, it seems like the most crucial exercise. So once you started implementing this stuff, um, obviously you, you sent me the email and said you've had a dramatic improvement in your symptoms straight away after two sessions. Did you see any carryover into sitting? Did you see any carryover into running, into any other um, elements of your lifestyle? Um. Yeah, I mean the the sitting has uh, right around I would say around sort of Thanksgiving, um, so like late November here in the United States is when I started to really feel like okay I can actually sit for a couple of hours even at a time at this point, um, or even an hour for a meeting without feeling uncomfortable, and so that was nice, um, <laughs> just because we need to be able to do that as human beings, um, and that's also when I was starting to increase my mileage. Um, in December, I, I tried to start doing some, some speed work as I, as I told you and, and, and one, maybe something to flag also is that I, I think I tried, um, I actually had to go back and listen to your episode on speed work because I tried to do like some tempo runs thinking that, okay, longer runs, but maybe at not like a 5k pace is going to be less, uh, um, you know, less stressful for the hamstring. But in fact, as you inform me, is you want to do something, you want to do something much shorter to start out. So now coming to coming to the present, I'm working on kind of stri- building strides and, and we'll start doing some short, very short intervals in the next couple of weeks. Nice. Um, yeah. Well, that's a good lesson. And it seems like you're, you're returning back to at least setting some sites on some really high-end 
goals. Like you say, you want to start doing some more sprint work, some shorter distances, and that's only the fact that you have those goals is a good sign that you're on that right trajectory and symptoms are responding accordingly and you're and it, managing to tolerate those initial successes and initial introductions. Yeah, and I guess I should have said um, the reason why I want to start in reintegrated speed work is because I'm I'm running Boston in April, and so I um, that was a real delight. Out of I, I qualified last during this race that during the run up to this race where I got injured, um, so I wanted to be able to you know try to uh, try to do some some speed work and some training this spring, um, but. I'm pr- I will be taking that gradually because I'm really prioritizing the recovery over the PR. Um, yeah. Recognizing I'm, I'm probably not going to get a PR this race. Yeah. Well, um, good to have those realistic expectations. Um, if there's someone who is currently struggling with PHT, um, you know, you're not, you wouldn't say that you've totally 100% overcome this, but I, you know, rarely the success stories I have are. Um, not what I expect them to be, but do you have any particular advice or guidance or reassurance for for those who are particularly struggling and you know needing some encouragement? I think, I mean, for me, half the battle was getting the right diagnosis, and it's really unfortunate because I I think that if you, you know, if you're able to figure out this injury relatively early on, I mean, you're, you're the expert on it, Brody, but I suspect it would have been much easier to manage, you know, in the matter of a couple of weeks or, or whatnot, um, not, not half a year as it took in sort of my case. Um, and I know people struggle with this for much, much longer than I have. Um, so um, obviously that's the most important thing is getting the diagnosis. The second thing is, is just a yeah, patience. Um, it will, I mean, this, this works, this, your, your strategies, slow having loading and getting the right exercises. Um, it definitely, it definitely works if you have the patience. And there was definitely times early on in kind of September, October, where I was, yeah, I was generally frustrated because it's such a slow process for this injury to get better. Um, and, but then once I started to see those improvements within, I mean, I think you've highlighted kind of, you have to give yourself at least six weeks and then maybe, you know, up to three months to see the real significant improvements. And, and that was certainly the, the case uh, for me. Um, so really just patience, trusting the process, as I think other people have said, and and figuring out the right set of exercises. Um, and, and then and cha- and then don't stop challenging yourself. I'm still, as you said, I'm still healing. I'm I'm hoping that in the next kind of couple of weeks, next month, next six weeks, um, it will all see this kind of disappear. Um, uh, but I, I'm still going to continue to challenge myself in these exercises because I want to make sure it fully, you know, improves. And um, I'm going to be doing RDLs and Nordic curls for the rest of my life, mm-hmm. <laughs> probably at least once a week. Yeah, um, so. It. I mean, I think you just have you have to work hard to get rid of this injury, which is frustrating. But like your these these strategies do work, um, yeah. and don't you know? I, I thought about doing kind of like dry needling and all these other things, but then I also listening to your podcast that it, that it just doesn't it gives you sort of cosmetic or short term improvements, um, and so I just stuck with all the, the slow heavy loading stuff. Hmm. 
A few other takeaways that I thought of just from listening to your story. Um, the first one being like just seeking your own knowledge. Like don't just take put all the the power into the therapist. Like you've actually gone away from that and, you know, invested in your own knowledge about this condition or trying to come up with a diagnosis yourself or just being like things aren't right, let me do some research and eventually honing in on something that you know you start seeing the effectiveness so i think investing in your own knowledge is a big one um the other one which you sort of alluded to was change things that aren't working like yes you do need patience to see if something is working but generally speaking you should notice a very small trend on the improve like at least every couple of weeks and like you said, as soon as you went to double leg deadlifts, bang, you, you found something on the right track. It only took two strength sessions to make significant difference. So then you're like, yes, I'm on the right path here. But, you know, doing calf exercises initially and saying, you know what, things aren't right. The, these symptoms are moving into my glutes. It's still the problem with the hamstring. I'm not really seeing this much improvement. So you've um, made the decision that things aren't working, things need to change, and then you've gone and changed those, which is, I think, crucial for um, people trying to hone in on the best, most effective management. And so um, the other thing that sort of combines all that is just you're very empowered in your own management. You're not taking someone else's guidance. You're not just having, um, you're not just taking my word for it. You're not just taking your health professional's word for it. You're being involved in the decision-making process and you're doing your own research and sort of um, you're being your own guide where just, um, you know, you, you seem to be very much in control of the, your destiny. And so I think that's very important for a lot of people because someone might say, okay, double leg deadlifts are the answer. And then it flare them up and they say, okay, why is that? Why isn't that working for me? And you have to go back to the drawing board and sort of come up with your own solutions and find out what's working, what isn't working because everyone's different. But those management principles and those guidelines, I think are still warranted for everyone. Yeah, no, that that's, thank you for um, saying it more eloquently. Um, that's a really important point. I, the other thing that maybe slightly silver lining, slight silver lining out of this injury is that like I was doing strength training before this, but I, I think I mean, I think that the fast racing is what ultimately did me in, but um, I also think I, I needed probably a little bit more variety and, and, and also I wasn't lifting as heavy as I am now um, for the kind of, for the kind of running I want to do. So um, that's also a little bit of silver lining. I've, I've introduced a bunch of new exercises. I, I'm also just, I mean, I'm just trying to in, injury proof myself basically, because I want to, I, I like racing and I, I like pushing myself. Um, and so I've, I've like, um, listened to your, your podcast, the other podcast, um, where you had also, you were talking about Achilles tendinopathy and I'm just like, okay, well, I'm just going to start throwing in soleus raises because I know that's critical to preventing that. And I, I haven't, the only injury I have not had <laughs> is anything in my, in my, um, my, my ankles or calves. Um, I've, I've had, you know, a few injuries in the sort of glute hamstring now, um, and so I, I don't want to have those in the future. So I'm just trying to, um, I really kind of upped my game a little bit on the strength side and all, you know, I'm doing this all now just in two rehab, two sessions, two strength sessions a week, basically, um, about an hour or an hour and 15 minutes, just because of the, 
approximately because of the the work I'm doing on my, my hamstring every single time. Um, and then I do some like core and, and other stuff at, at other points. But I think the main point is that like you don't have to dedicate a ton of time to this stuff when you're healthy, when you're rehabbing, of course you have to, you have to dedicate a lot. Um, but it just a couple of hours a week and you can really, really reduce your injury risk. Um, if you're doing racing and, or just a lot of running. Um, so that's something that I, for me, has been a silver lining. I've now got a number of different exercises, started doing kettlebell swings per your guidance, never done them before. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm excited to see also how this additional strength might play into just my running in general. Yeah. Injury prevention and also performance as well. If you're doing some plyometric power-based stuff, it's going to really, um, carry over to running faster, improving your marathon times, improving your 5k, 10ks. So looking forward to seeing where that takes you. Um, thanks for coming on and sharing all this knowledge. Um, good luck for Boston. Um, Looking forward to seeing how that goes. And like I say, your journey has been full of insights and full of uh, nuggets for people trying to negotiate this this condition. So thanks for coming on and sharing. Thanks, Brody. Thanks once again for listening and taking control of your rehab. If you are a runner and love learning through the podcast format, then go ahead and check out the Run Smarter podcast hosted by me. I'll include the link along with all the other links mentioned today in the show notes. So open up your device, click on the show description, and all the links will be there waiting for you. Congratulations on paving your way forward towards an empowering, pain-free future. And remember, knowledge is power.